Hi, this is John Nelson. This is Jimmy Maurer. Hi, I'm Andre Zanoda, and you're listening to the Dallas Soccer Show. the Dallas Soccer Show presented by the Striker Texas. Uh, in this episode, we're going to get a bit of an outside perspective on what's happening on the field for FC Dallas. I'm Dustin Nation, and with me this week is Jonathan Ross. Howdy, Jonathan. Hey, Dustin. I'm still uh, still, you know, getting over my excitement from the U.S. over Mexico win last night. Now we're recording on Monday, so it was uh, a, a lot of a lot of Concacaf fun last night. And now, and now, and now we get to talk about FC Dallas, which is you know kind of the op the opposite of Concacaf fun. Uh, this is true, uh, and and also joining us the, for the first time from his northern residence, uh, Nico Mendez. How's it going, Nico? How was the trip? Trip was good. It was uh, got cooler, and then it got really hot here in Michigan. So it seems like I brought the Texas weather up. You get all the blame. All the blame. That's what I'm. That's what grad students are for. There you go. All right. And here to provide said outside perspective of the team's trouble, joining us between tapings of the MLS Assist podcast and the Total Soccer Show, it's friend of the show, Joe Lowry. Welcome back, Joe. Thank you so much for having me, Dustin and Jonathan and Nico. Nico, I'm wondering, since you brought the Texas weather to Michigan, if you could send someone from Michigan out to Arizona so maybe we could get a little cool weather during the summer, I think that trade could work out really well. I will be more than happy to visit in December. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. Bring it. <laughs> All right. So, so Joe, um, last time you were on the show, we, had, we talked about how to watch soccer uh from a, a tacticals perspective and since you've been away we've been trying to 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 apply those techniques and and try to get better at really judging what we're seeing on the on the field and um there, there's just some stuff about fc dallas this season that that is kind of maybe def- defies our maybe my, my my ability at least maybe Jonathan and Nico are smarter than me but my ability to really understand like is what we're seeing on the field as as bad as it feels sure yeah i mean dallas right now i don't need to tell you guys or your listeners but bottom of the western conference it's it's not been a good start to the season from a results standpoint but are things what they seem i think i think the answer to that question is no i dug into the underlying numbers recently FB Ref, which is a hugely helpful website. They have a bunch of stats for MLS and, and for leagues all over the world. FB Ref has FC Dallas with the seventh most expected goals per 90 minutes so far this season. So that means they're creating chances at a higher rate than all but six teams in Major League Soccer. That to me, and I talked about this a little bit on MLS Assist with Jordan Angeli earlier today, that, that to me, that number specifically, that XG number to me shows that Dallas is not playing last in the Western Conference type of soccer right now. They're creating chances at a level that not a lot of other teams in Major League Soccer are, and they've had some poor results. I mean, losing 3 nothing to the Rapids most recently. They dominated that game, though. They controlled possession. They created chances, and they made some defensive mistakes in transition, especially that, that cost them. And against RSL, that 2-2 draw, they, they had a result there, and then Matt Hedges makes a few uncharacteristic, historically at least, mistakes. So this Dallas team, for me, 
I would be encouraged, at least relative to where they are in the Western Conference standings right now, if I'm an FC Dallas fan, because the chances are there. They're just missing out on that last finishing touch. And so, so the, 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 I guess the classic metrics is, is XG minus G, right? And like the expected goals minus the goals, or is it the other way around? Uh, but the, the difference between how many goals they, you would expect them to score given the opportunities they have. And then the amount of goals that they've, they've actually scored. And, you know, sometimes some folks say that that might be like the quantification of luck. Uh, it also might be a quantification of finishing. Do you think that the finishing is, is the, um, is the problem there? I mean, I mean, kind of right. It's hard. There've been studies done and a lot of smart stats. People think that, that by the time you become a professional player, by the time you're playing at an MLS level, finishing is is kind of an equal skill from player to player. Yeah, different players might have different tendencies and and different abilities to shoot with with their strong foot or their off foot. Off foot, but largely it ends up looking pretty even in terms of a player's ability to finish a chance. That said, and I generally subscribe to that theory. That said. Dallas is producing chances, but they're not scoring goals. They're, there's this gap between what they should be doing and what, what's actually happening. And the only answer for that, when you look at the, the goals and the expected goals, is that players aren't converting their chances. They're not finishing. Frank O'Hara, I looked at uh, American Soccer Analysis for this. Frank O'Hara is minus 2.76 goals minus expected goals, which means he, he should have scored more than more than has happened so far. Freddie Vargas is also in the negative. Uh, Yadier O'Brien is also in the negative. I mean, Dallas is missing that last little bit of polish. Not that they're not getting in those spots, but they're they're lacking the finishing touch. Like I said before, they're they're losing out on that last moment, and that's really hurt them in games this year. And I think anybody watching the matches would not be surprised by that statistic because I think that uh, at the end of every match, you know, an FC Dallas fan is, you know, you know, quote unquote, pulling their hair out, right? Uh, trying to figure out uh, why, you know, Hara is playing so 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 horrible, right? Or, um, you know, or, or Obreon's making these, having these uh, mental lapses, right, that we've seen. Uh, and I think XG is definitely the place where we see that statistically, um, show up versus, you know, not even creating those opportunities. And, and, and I would agree, Joe. I think we've seen, especially the last couple of uh, matches, is uh, Lucci's made some changes to uh, to how they're building up possession, going to be a little bit more of a balanced attack, um, that it's been even more more evident. So then it's then it's the question of well, how do you how do you fix that, right? Because hmm. it's. I mean, there is. I mean, Dustin mentioned luck, right? There is. There's a little bit of you know of luck, and you would expect people going to finish. But I think that uh, you know when you're seven games in, eight games in, uh, and you're seeing consistently uh, the team underperforming against everybody other than a, a Portland team that was heavily rotated, um, it can't just be luck. Yeah, it, it's hard. It, it can't be luck if you want to. You, you can't rely on what's happening now, right? To to carry on this season. If Dallas want to climb out of the bottom of the Western Conference, they need to start converting some of their chances. That's the reality. Brighton in the Premier League this year, 
underperformed their expected goals. They, they didn't convert the chances that they created by some ridiculous number. And they, they created quality moves that, that would have had them much higher in the table if they'd been converted at even an average rate, but they weren't. And Dallas is not quite that extreme right now, but there are shades of that. And it does remind me of that Brighton situation with Graham Potter coaching that team in the Premier League. I don't know... I don't know that you necessarily need to make any major drastic tactical tweaks necessarily, right? Because if the chances are being created and and this Dallas team is built around controlling the ball, Dallas have, I think, the third most passes per possession in the league this year. If your team's built around possession and you're creating chances from that possession, you've you've won most of the battle already. You've won a battle that I don't think Dallas has won in years past. And a lot of teams that try to play with the ball – don't usually win that battle. They don't usually can, you know, create this many chances. So maybe it's it's as simple as a little personnel juggle. Maybe it's as simple as Ricardo Pepe getting a start over Frank O'Hara and, and just tweaking things in training and, and even getting guys in looks with, with, you know, if you're going 11 v 11, maybe you change up the 11s and then that rotates people and jolts different players out of this mental state that they're in. I don't know exactly how to fix this, but I, I would, again, just think... This is this is broken, but in a lot of ways, it's it's not because Dallas are doing a lot of the job right now. Yeah, and that that the opportunities you mentioned, I feel like that's a recent development in the last two games because kind of the 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 criticism the first couple of games was that they weren't able to get the ball into the final third to feed the the attacking line, um, but then we've seen uh, we've seen them create a lot more opportunities, but then have those defensive lapses that you mentioned at the beginning of the show. Um, Is, is is there a, is there a balance issue there? You think? I mean, I mean, it's possible, right? With how Dallas play, they push a lot of numbers forward in specific moments. They build up and they take risks there and they take risks higher up the field. It's, it's not an easy, simple approach that Lucha Gonzalez has gone for. I think, I think this team can continue to to evolve and continue can continue, excuse me, to become even more effective in defensive transition. And right now, maybe that's the the place where they need to find balance is figuring out how to push numbers forward while still compressing space and, and still having that compact net when you lose the ball. What's the positioning like? How close are we to be able to close down the ball and shut down the options next to the ball to prevent a counterattack? I think that's something that Dallas could have uh I think that's something that would have benefited Dallas against the Rapids most recently in that 3-0 loss. I think we've seen it other times this year as well. So in certain senses, there is that need for balance. Defensively, Dallas isn't isn't a top team. I think they're, they're the 10th worst team in terms of expected goals allowed this year. And a lot of those have come, a lot of the chances they've allowed have come in really bad moments, like the last 20, 30 minutes of a game. That's, that's a problem. So maybe that's an, an issue of balance. But Offensively and, and tactically, in terms of how they're they're using the ball to to move forward and build into the final third, I I again have been encouraged by what I've seen from this team in that way. And I think some of that's been a progression through the through the year because uh, early on we saw that the team was actually getting not the same volume of opportunities that we're seeing in the last couple of games, but we're actually getting good opportunities. So and the majority of their shots were coming from in the box. They're putting a lot more shots on goal than what we saw um, in prior seasons. It seemed like, you know, even even then, if the volume wasn't there, there were still good opportunities, right? Which is probably what's driving that overall, you know, XG for uh, for the year. Um, but I, I mean, I, I I like what you're you know kind of brought up there, Joe. Which is to me, it's just 
at some point you've got to make some personnel changes, right? Which is even, even if not, I'm not going to say necessarily that uh, Ricardo Pepe, who's, you know, you brought up is, is better than Hara. But I think that, you know, you've now given Hara the opportunity to start all the, every match, but one. Right. And it's, it's not working. Right. So you've got to, you've got to do something, right. Because if you're getting, you're getting the shots, but you're not able to, to complete them and get the goals, right. There's something has to change from a personnel perspective. It feels, it does feel like the tactics themselves are starting to work at least on the offensive side. Yeah. We can talk about the defensive side maybe here in a minute, Uh, but at least offensively. Yes, they are. And I'm curious for your guys' perspective on this. Is there a call in Dallas to to put Paxton Pomico in the starting lineup? Because obviously he's someone you need to be careful oh, for with sure. from an injury standpoint. But I mean, oh. that could be from outsiders. <laughs> if, if he's healthy and ready to go, that's an obvious change to make, right? Oh, it's for it's for sure the obvious. It's 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 the obvious change, probably the most obvious change to make. Uh, and I think that you know when you're first asking that question, I was like, well, of course, I think people would love him to start, but you know he hasn't been ready. I do think that um, this you know. It, he he got the opportunity to come in at halftime in the in the Colorado match, got his longest run out since you know he's come back this year, since he's been injured around March of last year. Uh and so the it's it's a it's a good opportunity, I think, for him to start. You know, he's gonna have a few weeks of you know, kind of rest in this international break. I, I think we would all hope to see him come in at, at I would assume left wing um for FC Dallas in that uh in that match on the nineteenth. Yeah, that was my my question. Is where do you put him in there? Who do you take out? And I think the I think Vargas is that obvious answer. Is there is there a non obvious answer, Nico or Joe? What do you think, Nico? I don't know. It's the Paxson situation is kind of a complex one, right? Because um, kind of in the Oscar Pareja days, it, he you kind of saw him a lot on the wings, right? Um, and there is kind of that cr- early criticism. Well, Paxton really didn't play too much wing in the academy, and um, his, his skills are better utilized within uh, centrally within the midfield. And in historically, it, towards the end of Pareja's time, and then with uh, Lucci, you also see that Paxton has been pretty impactful coming in from the middle. Um, in terms of starting him, it, it's difficult, right? Because it, you in. Th- from face value, you, you want to make a kind of a like-for-like substitution. So you might think, okay, Andres Ricaurte, you take him off and put Paxton in. But then it's also – that that's also kind of hard, right? Because Ricaurte has been having a good season. He's been making a lot of key passes. Um, and with each game, you kind of see him get a bit more and more comfortable when it comes to developing the attack. So it's kind of hard if you take him out when he's kind of starting to build this progression that he's had um, in this season – so then you say, uh, what about Brian Acosta? Well, n- no, because Acosta's been doing great this year, functioning as an Oscar Pereira term, the glue between the defense and the offense. And you, you guys talked a little bit about um, kind of the transitions, but that's kind of a bit more of a whole uh, team thing. And then, well, what about Tanner Tessman? Um, and I'm sure this is probably a whole nother topic, uh, but you could argue, okay, is 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 Tessman been effective as kind of like this double six, double eight pivot alongside with Acosta? Um, it's kind of it's difficult, and, and if in from at, in this current Wait, perspective, it really. So, Nico, like, are you suggesting we we should put Paxton in as the six? <laughs> that, that 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 would be that would be something unforeseen. That's for sure. 
That would that would be the unobvious answer. <laughs> that would there be a go. very unobvious that, answer. Be the yes. un- I mean, you, you, I guess you can't really rule it out, but it's like it's kind of hard at this current moment because um, I guess really the, the the other spot. I mean, shoot, if you want to put Paxton as the nine, if you want to transition harder or something, um, but. I, I guess I would kind of pose this question to you since we're talking about the should Paxton start is would you really want to have Paxton starting kind of like how he did uh, early in 2020 and then kind of risk some sort of lo- yet another long term injury or does it seem more that at the current moment given kind of just the personnel that Luchi Gonzalez has and FC Dallas has, does he seem a little bit better suited to be coming off the bench to be this impact player, both offensively and defensively? Because Paxton brings a lot of energy into the game when he's included, either if Dallas is down a goal and they're trying to push forward. And then he combines well uh, with Ricarte. You now got multiple attacking fronts, um, but he's also the mature enough player to know when to hold uh, play, not necessarily as a six, but it kind of on the defensive aspect. So I, it, it's, it's a tricky situation given Dallas's position and just kind of how the midfield is. Cause I mean, they have a stocked midfield right now. So yeah. I think, yeah. I think for me, sorry, sorry, Jonathan, there's also this element of you're talking there, Nico, about risking the injury. There's also this element of how does another injury affect how much money we can get for him. Right. I think that's gotta be, the biggest thing outside of concern for his personal health. I'm sure that's the biggest thing, but the next biggest thing for Dallas managing his minutes right now, you know, if, if he goes down for another three months, whatever it is before the next transfer window, before European teams are looking in July and August, how much does that hurt us? How much does that hurt his value and limit our return? Because for me, from my perspective, not in that Dallas market, it's it's been time for him to go for a while. And the, the biggest thing that's been holding him back is an inability to stay healthy, right? And so I, I think if we take that transfer aspect out of this equation, I would put him in the lineup. If, he, if he's healthy and if he's ready to go, all that to the side. If those things are true, I would put him in over Brian Acosta or over Tanner Testman. And, and if he's in for Testman, then it's it's less of a defined number six and more of a, a double pivot. Like we see with the Columbus crew, right? Well, they'll they'll push Nagby forward or they'll push Artur forward. But it's not necessarily consistent in terms of which player is dropping. I, I think that could function well. Pomichol certainly has the work rate and the energy and the ability to cover ground to play a little bit deeper and then to push forward as well. Or I would put him in for, I'd put him in for Acosta. And I, I know Acosta's been solid this year. But Paxton Pomichol, I I firmly believe that he is one of the best central midfielders in this league when healthy, regardless of nationality, regardless if if I take off my American glasses here. The the quality he has on the ball with that left foot, even with his weak foot on the right, and just the mobility he has, the energy he brings. Nico, you talked about that. I think he's too valuable a presence for me. And I don't think Luchi Gonzalez agrees with this, but I think he's too valuable a presence to put out on the left wing consistently. Sometimes, sure, that's fine. I understand you need to rotate there. And and he brings different qualities than Vargas does on that side. But on a regular basis, for my money, I'd rather have Paxton Pomichol as part of a double pivot in that 4-2-3-1. Yeah, you've seen FC Dallas come out uh, to start the game with a ton of energy. And then they've had issues in the second, second half with energy. Um, and for me, if I was going to make a decision right now to start Paxton or not start Paxton, I think it really depends on whether I'm able to figure out 
the scoring in those early moments where they put a lot of pressure on the opponent. And if they can, if they can score there, uh, then bring them on in the second half to provide the, uh, the energy to, to, you know, be that pest, right. That, that, that can help break up plays as the opposing team transitions into the, uh, into the final third. Right. So, but I, 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 I do like the point, Joe, about the, the transfer. Uh, it, it hurts. It hurts to uh, think about yet another good player leaving. Uh, and so I, I kind of stop thinking about that. <laughs> and it's good to have that, uh, that, that uh, gentle reminder that there is transfer value here. <laughs> well, and, and like Dallas have Dallas are in this point in their life cycle right now that I don't think any other team in MLS has reached quite yet. They're at this point where they have all this young talent and they've been selling it and they've been playing it as well. But there's this middle, there's this center of those two things where you keep that talent for just long enough for a season or two until they're 19 or 20 and they're competing at a high level. And they're, those players, those late teenagers, early 20s, they're playing at a high level. They're playing at a, a borderline best 11 kind of level. And you keep producing those players. And as soon as you you have that 19 or 20-year-old and, and three, other, three others like him, they're in the starting 11 for 2,000, 3,000 minutes a season. And you're making deep runs in the MLS Cup playoffs. So you're contending for a supporter shield, or at least you're one of the top teams in the Western Conference. Dallas is at that point right now where they, they, they should be pushing for that, right? In their model, in their organizational development, this is a time in their life cycle where they're trying to figure out how to balance playing the Paxton Pomicles and keeping the, pa- the Paxton Pomicles with selling them and competing. And it's, it's a lot of things going on at once, and it's hard to do that. But we've seen Reggie Cannon go. We've seen Brian Reynolds go. We've seen you know Weston McKinney, Chris Richards go, even though those guys didn't factor in for the senior team. We've seen Dallas be able to sell players, and I have no doubt that if Paxton Pomichol's healthy, he will be the next to go or, or one of the next to go. It's just a matter of how effectively can they use these guys while they're still here. So that's just kind of an interesting aside as far as where Dallas are right now as an organization. So, so I, don't, I don't think that FC Dallas is a playoff caliber team if they can't get Paxton on the field 90 minutes. Hmm. So if they can't get there, I think that there's – Yes, there's is there a talented it's a talented team, has lots of other other components, but I think without him and uh, you know, Jesus Ferreira both actually getting time playing well, I, I don't think that especially with as poorly as FC Dallas has started the season, I think they're gonna make up that gap. So I think that you, they've gotta find a way to get Paxton on the field. I d I don't like the idea of breaking up probably the one portion of this entire team that works well, which is the midfield, to put Paxton in there. Right, I, I wouldn't because I think you know Ricarte and Acosta I think are 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 doing quite well. Tessman, I think yes, I think having a stronger, more mature number six there would be an upgrade, and I think it's probably something that FC Dallas will likely do in the next transfer window is bring in somebody who's a more experienced number six to help help uh, nurture Tessman and kind of take that starting role hopefully for the next year or two until Tessman is is ready for it. Um, but I mean, I, don't, I I just can't imagine putting. Paxton in the in the midfield, even if that's the best place for him, because there's so much need in the top three, right? I mean, this you know, Var- Vargas and, and Hara and, and Obreon are just not getting it done. Um, and so, you know, if if, if I'm gonna if, if if I'm looking to have the choice of pulling out a player who's playing well and replacing him with Paxton, or or pulling out a player who's not performing and putting in Paxton, I, I think that feels like an easier choice to me. You know something. Yeah really interesting oh sorry go ahead Joe. no 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 Nico you got it 
I was going to say something that's kind of interesting that you had brought up, Joe, is just the ability of Dallas um, and something that they've known for is just being able to move these promising players on to the next level, right? Um, and kind of this is kind of our discussion right now, right? We're talking about, all right, um, the impact of Paxton. And, you know, in earlier episodes, we were talking about the impact of homegrowns. And it's it's kind of a developing narrative around the club right now is um, – it's not necessarily so much of the homegrowns that are kind of f- failing the team, but more so of these veteran presence players. Um, and everyone's kind of wondering, well, if Dallas has a great academy and they're also moving these players on, you would think that at some point you would be able to have some sort of success using these players that you have in the team. Um, and kind of, I, I would say, well, these are also probably isolated incidents, but the Chris Richards and Justin Chase situations, right? It's like these, these, uh, I know nothing about the Justin Chase situation, but let's just assume that that transfer to Byron does happen, right? So now you have two center back players that, okay, are impact players or players that Byron has had uh, their eye on, Chris Richards having success at Hoffenheim. And you're kind of wondering, okay, well, how come these two players didn't play for FC Dallas? And uh, with Che saw North Texas minutes and Richards no minutes at all with the club. It's like where, where's that gap? In 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 previous episodes, we're also kind of talking about like little specific tactical things, and we kind of it seems like there's a consensus so far that there's no major tactical thing that really needs to be fixed. Um, it's just these little small details that kind of change game to game, and you kind of see that in the formation. So. I, I kind of want to pose this question now is do you think it's a little bit more of kind of an organizational thing overall that's also kind of hurting this team in this regard? Because, I mean, we got a good majority of homegrowns on the team um, that have a lot of promising talent. I mean, Dante Seeley right now training with PSV. Um, but then the club kind of also brings in these players to, in theory, help supplement the roster or to help guide these players. But then they're kind of taking away these minutes. So... I, I think that's a little bit interesting is how do you kind of get these homegrown and these talented players? And in theory, that's what the whole point of the MLS team is to do is to kind of advertise these players to other teams. How do you kind of get them on the field when you're bringing in these transfers? And, you know, Dallas right now is talking about, OK, we're going to bring in a six. And it's like, well, I mean, if if you want to put a lot of emphasis in the preseason, Edwin Cerillo got the number six jersey. So it's like, what's that got to do for his confidence, his development? Because, I mean, North Texas is not going to be that competition that he needs. Brandon Cervenio went on a loan in Austria uh, coming back. So, no, I'm just rambling, but I, I think that's you kind have of thoughts. a bigger thing. Lots of thoughts here. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think there needs to be balance, right? When you look at how this Dallas roster is, is made up and you look at the players on the roster, there are a lot of homegrowns. There, there have been for the last few years. That's pretty well established at this point. But even teams in, in Europe, really, that rely heavily on their academies, I'm thinking about Ajax specifically right now, I mean, they, they bring in other players from other countries, older players, to help out. I mean, not necessarily to, to mentor, but to finish out the roster and to build out that starting 11. So you, you have five, six, seven, eight, nine homegrown players on the roster, but a, a lot of the other players are either going to be older older players from from your country or they're going to be players specifically targeted from outside the country and i think with with dallas we see them bringing obreon and vargas this summer two wide players and and i i would assume from that that lucha gonzalez in, in the front office thought we don't have any wide players that are necessarily ready right now 
to step in and play 2,500, 3,000 minutes at an MLS level. We see Dante Seeley going off and training somewhere else. I mean, from his time in MLS this year, I don't think he looked ready. I, from the time that I saw him, he didn't look especially sharp. He didn't look like, wow, this kid is scary good right now. Not that he won't be, but but maybe not right now. And so I think with Dallas, the real pivotal point where they are right now is figuring out how to to find the right players to come in and supplement their their young American talent. Finding the right attacking talent and to boost the the midfield talent that they have with Tessman and Pomacola. How do we find players to complement them? How do we find players to complement Jesus Ferreira? Or or how can we use our American players, our homegrowns, to complement these other international signings? I'm not saying give up on on Obriana Vargas yet at all. I think there's there's a lot of season left. We're about 20% of the way through. And I, I think they've shown flashes of, of things. And I know they did well in preseason, from what I've heard. But there is there's time for these guys to play. So I, I guess... I don't necessarily think it's a problem right now the way this Dallas squad is is made up. It, it does look like a little bit of one, though, because of the attacking struggles to actually get the ball in the back of the net. Something to kind of add on to that is, do you also feel like um, if there is... Because I, I, you could say like there's consistently two homegrown players, Eddie Manjoma and Tanner Tessman, that are playing on the team right now. Um, would you say that if there was more homegrown influence... And I mean, just kind of reading Twitter, I mean, Twitter is definitely the best sample size. Um, everyone's asking, hey, play the kids, bring on the homegrowns, bring on Ricardo Pepe, bring on Paxton Pomacle. Hey, Brandon Cervenia is coming back. Um, do you feel like if there was kind of more of the majority of the Ross, of the starting 11 was the homegrowns, do you feel like there would kind of be this discontent, this upsetness with where how Dallas, their position is, if a lot of it was kind of hashtag play the kids versus where... The majority of it is these outside players, even though some of them young, like Vargas, O'Brien, and Acosta, um, are not necessarily just too Dallas. So, so is your question, Nico? Hey, uh, if uh, FC Dallas is playing a bunch of kids and we're last place versus not playing a bunch of kids in last place, would fans be happier? There question? you go. You you said it the Oscar <laughs> Pereira way. I said it the Luchi Gonzalez way. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, think, I guess yeah. so. Yeah. Go ahead, I mean, go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, I was just gonna say. I mean, at, le- at least then you would have something to point to, right? And say that yes, we're continuing to de- develop the the talent and move it on. Um, where I think now you mentioned the two the two players in Manjoma and Tasman that are getting minutes and are probably uh, it, arguably the two positions that FC Dallas is in the greatest need to find somebody to replace. So it's yeah. a lot easier to say I'm developing this homegrown talent than I, than it is to say I'm developing cohesion between these millionaires, you know? Um, so uh, from a, from a justification standpoint. And to me, it's, get, it's a timing thing right now where, where, you know, FC Dallas moved on from a few players just recent, like in the last year, right. Um, that it'd be, you know, between yeah, Reggie moving on obviously and uh, Reynolds moving on. Right. Um, and I think that the next group of homegrowns isn't isn't really MLS ready yet, right? But uh, they're they're being played anyways, which is which is good for them from a career perspective, I would expect. Um, but like Joe mentioned, right? Seeley, I don't think is Seeley's going to go, and he's probably he's never going to come back, right? And he's not going to. Uh, it's not like he's going to go start in Europe for a for you know, a first division league, right? He's going to go play in an under twenty three team or play in a, a, a reserve team or something, right? Um, which would be good, would be good for him, and it's probably better than going to North Texas, right? But um, outside of uh, outside of 
you know, Jesus and, and Paxson. I don't, I don't know if there's really a ton of homegrown talent that is, that should be starting game in and game out. If you had, you know, a normal MLS caliber player in that position. I think Nico, for me to answer your, your question, I think you get a bit of a free pass if you're playing six homegrowns in a lineup instead of two, right? You kind of put yourself in this weirdly enviable position, but also not a position that I think most managers are comfortable with, and, and rightly so. You, you do need balance with how you're building out these squads. But, yeah, I mean, if we're seeing Thomas Roberts and Edwin Cerillo and Pomacol start, and, and and we're seeing Pepe get minutes and Jesus Ferreira come back and he's playing, I mean, then I think things get a little bit get a little bit funky, but you, you do get a pass because then all of a sudden, at least on Twitter, you're the champion of the player kids movement and everybody loves you. I would love Yay. to see it like an all homegrown 11. Um, that, that, that's like some FC Dallas, FC Dallas. That's some FC Barcelona stuff right there from, uh, the early, or I think just the post pep era. I can't remember when they fielded 11 La Masia players, but I mean, yeah, Dallas, Dallas is still developing talent. It's just for, for now, I think for me, the biggest thing is, how is that talent meshing with players that they've they've brought in and recruited? And is their international recruitment process good enough? I I have a question. I'd like to. We've been talking a lot about um, about personnel and kind of the, some of the holes in the personnel. When we last spoke, Joe, we, you and I talked about kind of like the cat and mouse game between the managers and the, the tactical tweaks that they make during the game and. You know, we kind of mentioned that Lucci Gonzalez is the tactics don't they're they're mostly working. It's just that like that that final third, right? Uh, the 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 finishing. Um, one of the things that we've kind of seen over the next or over the past, I don't know, couple years is what seems to us as maybe an inability to make the right tweaks in game or at halftime in order to kind of push the team over the line in the second half or adjust to um, adjust to changes made by the opposing manager. Is that something that you see from an outside perspective uh, or, or do you think he's doing just fine? I, I don't think it's something I've expressly noticed. Now that's not to say mm-hmm. it's not happening, but for me, and I guess this, this keeps cycling back to what we've talked about before. I haven't noticed glaring tactical problems at least from an offensive perspective and so yeah you really have to look at these games through a fine-tooth comb and analyze individual moments and analyze individual progressions throughout a game to see that and so I'm not saying those things aren't there because you can look back at any game and and try to say any game that you lose especially you know we could have done this 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 a b and c and changed these three things and we would have won that game And, and most often you'd probably be right with the benefit of hindsight but I haven't noticed these major glaring tactical adjustments that needed to be made in-game, that were crying out to be made in a game. I haven't seen that yet, which, again, I'm encouraged by Dallas, especially for the last place team in the West. If they're fourth in the West with some of the numbers they have, I might have a few more questions. But they're a better team than the results say right now. And and for me, that that has been my takeaway, my my main focus when watching these games, less so those individual adjustments. Again, not that they haven't needed to be made in certain games because I'm sure they have, but nothing major has stood out to me in that way. Cool. No, just <laughs> <laughs> to kind of add I, on to that, it's like I don't think teams, I, I mean, no coach or no team is going to be like, all right, first half, we're just going to kick the ball around. Okay, second half, now this is okay. Now we're paying attention. No no, no team waits till the second half to say, all right, this is who we are. I mean, 
coaches and teams they they go for okay this is what our plan is for the whole 90 minutes um yeah and it's and kind of the beauty of soccer and what gets a lot of us excited is then we can kind of hyper analyze when both teams start responding to each other right i mean lucci always talks about moments and <laughs> but um it, it's yeah, if we had it, a little bell we could ring it for uh, when joe <laughs> said moments earlier yeah I, I know right but um it it's how teams kind of respond uh throughout games um and like north texas uh, there's there's been differences that this team has gone through in the off season they're still technically trying to figure out each other i mean yahara has been here for half a season but i mean that front three is different they're still trying to figure out a how to play with themselves mesh into lucci's overall system play with the midfield but then also i mean um lucci is growing on each previous season right the first year was kind of like all right this is lucci's system last year you could argue that it was about switching the ball looking for these different moments and kind of this year it's balancing the direction of attack where last year was a lot of hey flanks i.e ryan hollingshead um and then Reynolds' uh, amazing crossing to this year, it's uh, just, hey, let's balance the direction of the tech. Yeah, we got Hollingshead, who's great as a fullback. Eddie's kind of working his way up there. But then also, let's involve the midfield a bit more. Let's kind of bring it into the middle to reset versus sending it all the way to the back line to reset. So th- there's also kind of that growth in that regard as well. I have a question for you guys. Um for, for what you observe and what you hear from Dallas being there, what's the tone around this team right now? Is the tone, wow, things are things are actually going okay even though the results aren't saying that? Or is the seat, is Luchi Gonzalez's seat hot? Which I don't think it should be, to be clear. That's that's my view. But I, I mean, I've seen people posts and stuff about that. Like I, I've heard people talking about that, not anyone of importance, um, like in terms of a decision-making sense. But like, I, you you hear that stuff. I'm sure you guys have heard some of that stuff. What's the feeling in Dallas right now about the direction of this team and about the start of the season so far? Well, from a fan perspective, it's you know there's there's a lot of disappointment, and yes, there are those people who are who are uh, you know screaming Lucci out or you know never happy with the, with the coach. Um, I, I don't. I also don't think Lucci's necessarily on a on a hot seat. Uh, we've talked about it before on the on this pod, which is that uh, in general, FC Dallas, when it looks from a coaching perspective, have gone from within or you know somebody that they already have a relationship with, and so they're they're it's unlikely that they're going to be going out and trying to sign a big name coach somewhere. Uh, I think that Lucci does have a little bit more latitude than maybe some other coaches would, uh, and and I think he's also. And he he's when he's talking in press conferences and stuff like that. I mean, he's he talks about like Nico said moments and tries to talk about the positive things that that he sees. Um, so I think he's he's still trying to be very upbeat about it. Now, whether or not he feels that he's on a hot seat, I mean, I hope he does. Right? I, ho- I hope he's coaching and pushing the team as if his his job depends on it. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think it does. Yeah, the the mood after the like immediately following the Colorado game was pretty gross, uh, pretty uh, pretty dire, as they say. Hmm. Um, it it uh, the, a lot of negativity um, from and I and I got not going to lie, I kind of got pulled out into that a little bit too because you know you you compete with a team 
the first game of the season, and then you you just go and you you uh, poop the bed and and, and lose three nil, um, and going into the, in your last play last place going into the international break, and it's really easy to get caught up in that negativity. Um, the the thing that I've kind of gained over the next um, couple of weeks of of not having really like watched have like. I kind of disconnected a little bit and you get some of that, like that hindsight of, uh, is it really that bad? I mean, look at, you get time to look at the numbers and you get time to look at, at a lot of the situations and, and it's, it feels less bad today than it did two weeks ago. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, from, from a personal perspective. I think it's a kind of an interesting, it's a, it's a really good question, Joe. Because, I mean, <laughs> a, lot, a lot of what we see is Twitter. So, you know, there's that so many characters. But I think that one of the kind of the things about that stood out to me about Luchi Gonzalez is like Jonathan was saying in 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 other games, he's usually pretty positive. Right. He tries to take away. OK, these were the positives. These were the takeaways. Um, this season, though, I personally feel like he's kind of shifted away from that um kind of talking to him after the games in those post-match perf conferences you kind of get a feeling of hey Lucci is concerned um uh as the contrarian it's emo Lucci (laughs) (laughs) as as the contrarian on the pods it's usually sometimes when like I Lucci's down sometimes I'll ask a question about hey this is this is what I saw what worked what do you think about that and um, quite a few times he's immediately turned it to, no, this is what was not good. And then, you know, in previous season, I'll say, Hey, what did you think about this thing that maybe fell short? And he would go the opposite of two. No, 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 this is what worked. So kind mm-hmm. of just in this season, his overall tone, just from the post-match press conferences, it's, it's opposite. Um, and you see the visible concern and kind of worry on in Luch in the way he talks, um, kind of the way he's presenting himself, at least in these post-match press conferences. And I would say, I would think organizationally from the club, there's no pressure kind of coming from above. But I think that's kind of a kind of a character fault of Lucci per se, is that he's he's a huge student of the game. He really loves the game. He really likes to analyze, kind of come away with these takeaways. I mean, under his tenure, started by Oscar Pareja, uh, they've they've ramped up their analysis department, their data analytics department. So, and that's something he kind of places a lot of value in. So, I kind of feel like to kind of borrow an idea from my friends at Third Degree, and something that Buzz said is, it seems like Lucci's probably putting too much pressure on himself, um, and that might just be hurting him in some regards. So, uh, the, to <laughs> a long roundabout way to answer your question at least from Lucci's side there did seem to be kind of like this mood and tone shift so far in this season kind of from him that's so interesting I love the perspective from you guys there I think I think it's interesting to try to put myself in Lucci Gonzalez's shoes a little bit and how to if my team is last in the west obviously I'm not happy right like things have gone wrong on a real level in terms of your inability to get a result. And that that's bad, right? You're going to have feedback from fans. You're going to have, if not, hey, you know, turn things around right now or else. You're not, you're maybe not having that from front office, but there's going to be disappointed 
people there. There's going to be people who think things should be done differently and, and maybe think things should have been done differently in the past already under Lucha Gonzalez. But I think and I, I hope and I wonder, I guess, how much comfort he takes in some of the things that I've taken comfort in looking at this team and watching from afar. Because I'm not there to be frustrated by the, the individual moments, the, you know, the, the shot that goes just wide from Frank O'Hara, the, the missed opportunity from Freddie Vargas. I'm not, I'm not here to see that and I'm not as emotionally invested in that. And so I, I don't know. I just think it's an interesting situation where if we have this conversation again a month from now, I think Dallas are no longer bottom of the Western Conference, and I think they've probably gotten a couple of results to to step up a little bit in that in the table. But I still can understand where Luch Gonzalez is at right now in terms of his frustrations and, and how the season's gone so far. And kind of one of my personal opinions is, you know, after Lucci leaves the club and goes on to other things, it's his tenure at FC Dallas will kind of be marked where he wasn't necessarily properly prepared and I wouldn't necessarily say set up for failure but he, he was kind of progressed way too early uh kind of in his coaching career ironically enough with him being an academy coach and preparing other people for their careers but I mean he was set to be the North Texas SC coach and you know I think that would have been an extremely valuable experience into this is what coaching at a professional level is like and for him to quickly jump to, hey, now you're coaching an MLS team with profession- professionals. Hey, you got a almost $3 million striker that <laughs> that the club kind of brought in and trying to figure all this out. And in, and in theory, on in a good coach's tenure, year three is when you're on the up and up, maybe peaking, and that's just not the case. So it it's it's his whole time at FC Dallas will kind of just be kind of have that asterisk where it's like, hey, this is a first professional coaching experience where – um, I've also been dubbed as the Eric Quill fanboy. If if Eric Quill gets <laughs> yeah. gets moved up to FC Dallas coach, I think that's gonna Eric Quill in that regard in his progression has kind of been set up a little bit better. Yeah, um, I, I want to take take the conversation back a little bit, and I know I moved us away from talking about personnel. And there's one there's one player that that of all the players I wanted to ask you about, Joe. And get your opinion on, and it's 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 Andres Ricarte. I remember listening to an episode um, of of MLS Assist. It had to have been, I don't know, a couple weeks after MLS is back, and you and Jordan were were talking about Andres Ricarte, and I I, th- I think you said I can't figure him out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and and from from my perspective, like I see him as one of the best players that FC Dallas has when he's on the ball and I'm wondering, I've heard some, some criticism of his off the ball movement um, and thinking that it might be dragging players out of the right position where players have to fill spots that he should be filling or he's, he's tracking back too much and getting involved in the wrong spots. And so he, he's not able to set up the team. Um, Did, did you, do you see any of that? And, if you has it gotten any better in recent weeks, and is that part of why FC Dallas is able to maybe get uh, more opportunities the past few weeks? I do see some of that. I think especially when he starts as that ten, right in the four-two-three-one shape that they've they've been using, and it's it's been a three-at-the-back shape at times this year, and his role looked a little different. His positioning looked a little different in that shape, but looking at the four-two-three-one specifically, 
he starts as a 10, right? He starts above the double pivot. Tanner Tessman's usually the deeper of the two central midfielders. Ricarte is typically the most advanced of, of those central players not named Frank O'Hara. So he starts high, and he picks up the ball high a lot, but he also drops a lot and picks up the ball deep a lot. And that's, that's fine. That's not, that's not rocket science, right? We see number 10s all across the world, and not as much now as we used to, but we see those types of players drop deep to get touches. A lot of the best attacking midfielders in the world do that. And that's, that's fine. But there are specific moments where I think that disrupts rhythm, and it slows plays down, and it disrupts movement patterns, like you're talking about, Dustin. That's happened at times this season. It's, it's had unnecessary numbers in certain areas, which then under underloads almost other areas of the field. It, it takes a player that maybe should have been there and moves them to another area to either compensate for Ricarte's movement or maybe that number, that player moving is him, dropping deep. So you, you, I think you're always going to have this trade-off, though. And I struggle, I guess, to fault Andres Ricarte for this because that's kind of what he's here to do. He's here to get on the ball and be that, quality attacking player, that silky smooth, left-footed attacking midfielder who's going to play through balls. He plays a lot of through balls relative to other players in Major League Soccer. He's here to to play that that ball into the box, if not the final ball, the, the MLS assist, to stay weirdly on brand. He's he's here <laughs> to, to play those progressive passes and to help create chances. And part of that, you accept when you bring in a player like Ricarte, you accept that they're going to drop deep. It's, it's really hard, and I imagine it would be really hard to sit Ricarte down and tell him, stop dropping deep. We don't want you to get those touches on the ball. He wants those touches. That's an important part of his game for him to feel like, I, I imagine, that he's getting rhythm. And so there is this trade-off with Ricarte. There is this positional trade-off of, of maybe that causing some problems in the attack and that causing problems in possession. But you take that. You accept that when you sign a player like Ricarte. And it's up to the players around him, and I think it's up to the coaching staff to find ways to make that work and make it look like a functional attacking system. And I think Dallas, by and large, have done a, a pretty good job of that so far this season. Nico, you you look like you have something to say. <laughs> no, that, that that's a really good point that Joseph uh, brought up. Oh, sorry, Joe. That Joe way, brought up <laughs> is um, kind of. By design, these tens they do that. I mean, Paxton does it. Um, Mauro Diaz did it as well. Um, so then I kind of thinking about okay, if it it's kind of an, an inherent uh, characteristic of these tens to kind of at times either receive the ball up high or drop in to receive the ball. Um, kind of how how and Dustin, you brought up okay. Well, it's drawing other players out of position. It's I would then start thinking. Is it so much as to Ricarte kind of hurting the team in that regard? Or is there kind of an overall structure that's maybe there's a lack of understanding that kind of causes that situation, right? Um, if if it's a common characteristic of this type of player to do that, you you would think that there's some sort of tactical adjustment or some 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 part of your game plan that allows you to, hey, when this happens, another player moves up. Uh, so I kind of started to think back, okay, well, what did FC Dallas do in the um, Mauro Diaz days? And aside from Maxi Arruti being all over the field, um, something <laughs> what, what would happen, happen in those situations is Kellen was that player to start moving up forward. And so then I'm thinking, okay, well, then, for FC Dallas, who who's that role? That and you would think, okay, either Brian Acosta or Tanner Tessman would be one of those two players to start moving up. But 
Um, I might. Okay, this is just a thought that I kind of thought up of right now. Is we we, we know Lucci kind of <laughs> emphasizes kind of having a fluid midfield, right? These players being interchangeable with themselves. Um, it seems like there's moments in the games where moments moments in the games where they're being ding. more <laughs> ding, ding. where they're being more rigid being having kind of a bit more of these set defined roles which when Ricardo drops deep it it kind of hurts the team in that regard so um you know there's a kind of another little tactical thing <laughs> that yeah. I, you would, I think you hit the the nail on the head at least for last season when you were talking about the other players not adjusting to the way Ricarte likes to play. And when, when you bring in, he, he was brought in to be a, um, a game changer of somebody who's, who can, who can really take the team and, and be dynamic and push, push the play, uh, the level of play. And I think you had a lot of folks on the team, at least in the 2020 season that just didn't know how to play with a player like him. And I think that, that it's better this season. Um, but you still at times when things get frantic, you see, see players not fully understanding where to be when, when he is out of position. And I, I think we talked about Paxton Pomichol earlier, a good reason for him to play left wing. Actually, I think maybe even more so than, than playing as an eight would be for him to tuck inside right? Even if he's playing on the left, which is the side of his dominant foot, it's not a natural inverted winger type of role for him, but he could drift inside into the pocket, let Ryan Hollingshead overlap or whoever's playing left back, John Nelson overlap, whatever. You have Paxton Pomichol inside, tucking in, if not all the way into central spaces, into that left half space, right? Just just getting a little bit more inside, getting a little narrower, that could help add another number between the lines. And I'm not saying Freddie Vargas doesn't do this right now, but Pomichol, because I, I think his best spot is as a central midfielder, he could use some of those central midfield type traits to fill that space. And, and I think he has an ability to operate between the lines that maybe Vargas lacks cutting inside from that left left wing. So I think that could be another reason in addition to maybe getting a little bit more defensive work out on that left side over whoever he's replacing on the left wing. There are real reasons to play him as that left winger. And I, I think there's there's very clear there, there's very clear reasons why Luchy Gonzalez has done that and, and will continue to do that throughout this season. I love it when a conversation comes full circle. <laughs> uh, I just really wish we had Luchi Gonzalez on the podcast because, I mean, we've all pitched like these little tactical ideas or our own tactical thoughts. And it'd be great to ask Luchi, hey, is this what you're doing? Or have you, you, have you tried this? But exactly, yeah, he's not going to tell us because to preserve his team tactics. So, I mean, if there's just a way that... No one would listen except, you know, just us and, of course, the pod listener. I mean, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, now that we've come full circle, does anybody have anything else they want to ask Joe while we have him here? I, I, I just have another statistical anomaly. And, Dustin, we talked about it last week. But, Joe, that so we got XG on one side for the offense. Um, I'm going to call it XP for expected penalties on the defense. <laughs> uh, and I know it's not the real, I know it's not the real stat, but I know FC Dallas, if you look at the number of touches their opponent has uh, in their box, they've given away about five times more penalties per defender touch than the average for the MLS. Wow. Is that, 
<laughs> it's Jerome a, it, pays it, for 36 penalties this season. It, exactly. It's, it's, or, no, uh, maybe it was 19. It, 19. It couldn't be 36 because that'd be more than one per <laughs> game. But yes, they're at uh, they're at four. I think it was. I think it's like uh, for every 35 touches the opponent has in FC Dallas's box, they give away a penalty. Um, and the the average in the leagues are all like 150. So it's it's a pretty significant difference. Uh, Anything that you've seen that uh, might point that out, or is that just one of those ones that truly is a lock that you would expect would even out over time? I mean, it's a lot more than you'd expect, right? I think it's a lot more than is reasonable, and it's probably, this is a good thing for Dallas, unsustainable. Uh, That's that's a very good thing when you're giving up that many penalties per touch. I, I haven't seen anything expressly to to make me think there's some sort of systematic issue there. I will say Matt Hedges defensively this season has not been what I I've seen from him in the past. And I know what, what you guys and mm-hmm. listeners have seen from him in the past. And so like there have been imperfect defensive performances, but that stat, Jonathan, that's fascinating. And I, I do think it, it will level out a little bit as the season goes on. Yeah. Stat check. It is. They are on pace for 19 PKs this season. Uh, that's PK so many. Eight. matches. It is. It is so many. Agreed. Yes. Wow. So, so not only are they not scoring on the offensive end, they're they're giving away free goals on the defensive end. And and I think that the um, the I think I saw something that correlated back to where it was. You know, I think they've given up like four points or something like that as far as like points in the standings because of penalties, right? Which is in the West, uh, you know, which what a crap show would. I don't know if that moves them into playoffs positioning or not, but pretty damn close. Yeah. Yep. So the good news is, is that hopefully over the course of the season, the 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 finishing percentage up top should should uh, stabilize and and kind of go back towards uh, closer to the XG that they've got, and the P, the PKs are unsustainable. Joe tells us. So you know, some optimism here at the end of the show. I think be encouraged, be encouraged. That's my, like, that's my general thesis for this Dallas team right now. Be encouraged. I don't think you'll be at the bottom of the Western conference for long. I could be wrong on that. And if I am, uh, none of this ever happened, but I do think Dallas will, will get better at least from a, from a result standpoint over the next few games. And as the season progresses into the heart of the summer. Don't worry, we're a pretty small pod. No one, right. you, if you're wrong, not many people. You, you heard it here first. FC Dallas will not be last place. That's right. We're going out on the going out on the edge there. That's right. <laughs> we're gonna yeah tweet it from the hilltops. All right, second to last, maybe, but not last. So 19 penalties. Would you say that's so MLS or that's so Concacaf? Because I feel like one oh, is yes. a bit more embraced than the other. <laughs> <laughs> I think penalties are inherently more CONCACAF than they are MLS, but I think this is a things-can-be-two-things situation, man. It, it fits with both. Why not both? <laughs> All right, Joe, uh, how can folks find you and help you out, contribute to your uh, freelancing, all that stuff? Yeah, thanks for asking. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe C. Lowry. That's the best place to find all the different stuff that's on there. Uh, I, I freelance for The Athletic and for MLSsoccer.com. And then you can hear my voice if if that's something you're interested in for some reason with the Total Soccer Show a few times a week and then also over with MLS Assist. So that is my my full plug, Dustin. So so pretty much everywhere, but it's all aggregated at Joe C. Lowry, at, or at, at Joe C. Lowry. Yeah, you had it. You you just said it better than I did. So I'm going to 
I'm going to just pretend like I said that. It's all aggregated, folks. That's a great word to use in this situation. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, I think that wraps it up for us. Uh, we are. I'm encouraged. Jonathan, you encouraged? Oh, for sure, man. I, I'm, right. I'm, I'm stoked. Nico? <laughs> I mean, this whole pod could have been its own PhD thesis. That, I... I don't know what to do with that. Uh, so I will, so I'll just end the show. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter as at Dallas soccer show. We're on our website at Dallas soccer show.com. You can also find our stuff on the striker, Texas.com for Nico, Jonathan and Joe. I'm Dustin nation. Thanks so much for listening.